This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's never a good sign when I'm the one presenting a logical solution. Scott Owen. James, can I just make this one quick point? And Adam Pace. Uh, I'm a male. No. Starting now. Well, we hope everybody had a fun, festive weekend. And we're back now on the Brisbane Football Review for our 2022 review show, which may not actually feature all that much of a 2022 review because there is quite a lot to talk about this weekend. Hello, everyone. It's James Scott and Adam with you on another Wednesday evening here in sunny southeast Queensland. Well, two of us are in southeast Queensland. One has decided to uh, cross the Tweed and... I think I actually see a shade of sky blue there, Scott. How are you going? Oh, that is that is defamatory, and I'll be having you for that. But yes, I'm down here on the sunny northern Gold Coast, southern Gold Coast, northern rivers area, enjoying some time off. It's uh, been a very enjoyable, festive period. How about you, James? It was good. Uh, seeing family is always a very busy project at this time of year, but the good news is we all got through it. Adam, you're still in one piece, I assume. Ah, yeah, it's uh, it's this Christmas time, so I've been, I went on a big holiday, so so like I said, the, I'm just grateful for the public holidays. Aren't we all? And uh, yeah, there was plenty of football to take in over the last few days, both domestic and abroad, but we are going to focus on the domestic uh, football as my son decides to chime in in the background as well, so hello Tommy. Uh, And we are going to review both of the Brisbane Raw games, which took place on Friday, and we're going to go chronologically, which means we're going to start with the A-League women, who came away with a comfortable win in Newcastle, thanks to a Katrina Gorry double, Scott. Yeah, comfortable's the right word, James. It was a really assured road performance. It's a side which the Raw have typically done really well against the Jets in in years gone by. It's a team they typically get a lot lot of three points against. They did it again on Friday night. It was a very counsel performance, like Katrina Goria's performance in midfield, just skipping past defenders like they're not there. Is She's right back to her absolute best form. What's it been? 45 minutes in the first game up at Redcliffe last week, straight in second game. Outstanding player of the match performance. Yeah, look, Katrina Gorry, you know, she's the heart and soul of the side. And, you know, like I said, on, on the sort of comeback trail after her little break ahead of what is going to be a massive, you know, campaign for her. And look, if if there's any question about, you know, you know, why is she in the Matilda's side and a starting player in the Matilda's side, she showed it at the number two sports ground because she was, you know, head above shoulders, you know, the best player in the park. She certainly was. And it was two goals from her as well. That first one... For a second, I thought it might not have been the cleanest of strikes, but she certainly hit it well enough to get it by Georgie Worth and uh, score the game's opening goal. And from there, it was it, it was assured, but they still had to work for it, Adam. Yeah, look, I think so. And I, I think that's probably a positive that uh, New, Newcastle, while they, they, they've been they were all right, even in the game in round one at Perry Park, they showed glimpses. They've got they've got a few quality players. Um, but at the end of the day, the Raw were the ones that, you know, were actually able to grab the goals. Uh, Hensley handcuffed in goal, you know, she didn't have too much to do. She made one or two strong saves, you know, near the end when uh, Newcastle tried to mount a comeback uh, just before the rain started falling. But, um, but yeah, look, uh, at the end, I think I agree with Scott that the word comfortable comes to mind as far as this result. And, look, a good three points on the road. And the notes that I took down from this game as well and this sentence probably sums it up as best a strong performance against a team they really did need to beat and it does feel like this team 
is trending in the right direction, Scott. It does, and with Newcastle, the loss of Murphy Agnew right on half-time with that injury probably did derail their hopes of getting back into the game. But you're right, this is a game the Raw had to win, isn't it? They've had... This was their third away game of the season. The first two, it's fair to say, yes, they were two of the elite teams in the competition, Sydney FC and Melbourne City, but they weren't very impressive road performances, James. They needed to put that right. A clean sheet, I'm sure Gareth McPherson will be really, really happy with that. And then to, to see the front throw start to click now with Katrina Gorey as well, there's a lot of positives to take out of this performance, even if it is against a side who, with the greatest respect, probably won't be featuring in the top four discussions this season. Yeah, and that was the way I was sort of going into this game where like, we know this Raw side is better than what they showed last year and throughout the preseason, that's what they were all saying as well, where you know they want to build on that strong finish they had at the end of last year, which ultimately saw them just miss out on the finals. But they wanted to use that as a springboard for a strong uh, start to the campaign as well. And just looking at the ladder now, I know it's still technically early in the season, but, you know... Some teams have six games played, some have five. The Raw right now are up to fifth place with six points from their last two. So that's got to be something that fans can get excited about, Adam. It is, and uh, it's, it's sort of fallen where we thought there would there would be. You know, obviously, some comprehensive losses to teams that they, you know, I guess like Sydney FC and uh, and uh, Melbourne City, who have shown that they are they are, you know, I guess the benchmark in this competition at the moment, but they're, they're, they're picking up points where where they need they need to. Obviously, you know, two wins against Newcastle Jets and you know, a win over Western Sydney Wanderers, not by the biggest of margins, but at this stage, you you're happy just taking the three points without you know really sort of you know, putting on a score. And I think that'll be probably the next stage of, of things. You know, there are some teams that they that they still got to play that they they should be beating comfortably and I think it's where um, I guess the next phase goes for Gareth McPherson that you know they that basically they're now going to start you know really sort of showing their dominance and you know really sort of putting teams away um, pretty early because even even there were moments in this game where you thought you know Newcastle grab a goal they like a second may be coming as well but that's I guess what stood out this squad from last year's squad is that they seem to have a lot more confidence in seeing games out grabbing that lead and and basically playing the game out the game management seems to be you know miles and miles better than it was 12 months ago and the big test is with the next three games they have Sydney FC and Adelaide United both at home then Western United on the road now those three teams are ahead of Brisbane Raw on the table and they're currently in the top four and Brisbane are trying to push themselves back into that so if they're going to get themselves in there James they're the sort of sides they have to beat yes they've got to worry about beating the sides at the bottom but they're going to have to beat teams who are in and around that top four with them as well and to have those two games at home particularly Adelaide game last year it was such a disappointment the way they played that game it was a big milestone game for Katrina Gorey and they just didn't turn up as a team really so to, to right that wrong in, in the next couple of weeks against Adelaide as well as the Sydney game I think they're games they really need to like really point to that we need to win these games to really shore up that top four reputation for sure and look nobody's expecting them to go you know perfect against those sort of title challenging sides like Melbourne City Sydney FC and Adelaide but I think what you really want to see uh, for them coming uh, going forward is the fact that on their day they can match it with those sides you know it might not be you know an even split but you know even two out of ten times if they are in the right mood They've got the players that can get them uh, up to the level where they are competing with them. And that's the final point I uh, had on this game as well, was the fact that it was another clean sheet for the defence and uh, Hensley handcuffed the goalkeeper. 
And that does feel like the biggest overall area of improvement from last year, where they just seem so much more solid at the back. And I think it was you who was saying it, Adam, about their game management at the end. Last year, it felt like we were saying so often, you know, they conceded a goal late. You know, they just let themselves slip. But this year, you know, not just handcuffed, but the defenders as well. Uh, we'll go to you on this, Scott. They just seem so much more assured and it, that confidence can only grow after uh, another clean sheet. Yeah, this defensive hit looks really well balanced. I mean, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter if it's Rashard or Rankin in the middle with Kaja Lind or Tegan Thompson or Tamar Levin at fullback. It's a really competent and balanced defense, isn't it? They are playing some really good really good work down at the back line, not giving up a lot of opportunities other than probably the Sydney FC game where they might have let themselves down away from home a couple of weeks ago. Other than that, the back line has been really, really solid. It's going forward, James. They can just capitalize on their chances. They, they, will, they will really put someone away at some point because defensively, they look really solid, which is also something they didn't really have last year, given to Adam's point, the game management, the, the fading out of games, concession of late goals was a real issue. This year, it looks a more solid and reliable back line. I think you've seen the results on the back of that. Yeah, the, the, yeah, like I said, I think you were confident at at you know, two nil uh, in in this game uh, last Friday night that that they weren't going to get caught. Like Newcastle might mount a comeback, but given given what we've seen, the evidence that we've seen, that they've, they've closed their games pretty well. And I think I think you know, handcuff at the back really gives them confidence. Kaiser Lind, yeah, you know, she looks so comfortable on the ball. A few, you know. Few hair-raising moments this season so far, but that is it is what it is. But uh, yeah, look at and look, I've got to pay special mention as well. Um, like Jamila Rankin and and, Je- and Jesse Reshart the week before. I think yeah, uh, in that centre back role, both who were not noted centre backs up until this season have really you know, combined with with Kaiser Lynn. So uh, it's looking very good. I, I'm still a little concerned, obviously, with the fullbacks. But look, Tamara Levin, I think, also as well. She's at right back. She seems to be um, a lot more sort of, you know, looks a lot lot more sort of stronger. She seems to learn the role more and more each week. And we know how good Tegan Thompson has been MPL. The, the question was whether she could step up to A-League women's. So far, so good, I say. Yeah, and on the Tegan Thompson uh, debut and follow-up as well, she's, you know, we know how good she was for Lions, as Adam uh, just said, but I think we we're all a little bit surprised considering she was only on a short-term injury replacement contract, uh, and as far as I know, still is on an injury replacement contract, why they didn't maybe just throw her into the mix. But it seems like, you know, they were thankfully, I suppose, able to give her a few weeks to get her fitness back up after what would have been a very... Uh, draining NPL season, Adam. Yes, as far as I know, and even even in the story that there was on um, a feature story that the Brisbane Raw put out uh, uh, a couple of days ago, it sounds like she still is on that injury on that injury replacement contract for for Talitha Kramer. They would be nuts not to find another way to extend that because I, I think look, I think Tegan Thompson, she's a natural she's a natural fullback in a side that has tried makeshift fullbacks. They'd be nuts to not try to extend the contract, especially with, especially with you know, Mary Mariel Hecker now gone for the season. Find a way to to extend it because I think she, I think you know, at the end of the day, I think she's shown over two games so far that she's more than capable of playing in that role at this level. It's an easy and logical move, isn't it, James? Transfer the the injury replacement contract over to replacing Mariel Hecker for the rest of the season. I'm sure they'll probably be considering attacking options if they think they need an extra attacking player to potentially fill in in the front third and maybe they might have to 
go a different direction, but to me, I'd just be transferring Tegan Thompson over to replacing Mario Hecker for the rest of the season, and I'm sure Rob Scanlon at Lions won't be happy about just saying another one of his players should be going to the <laughs> Raw, but, but yeah. her performances, <laughs> it, performances dictate and suggest she's she's more than capable of playing at the other women's level, and I think the Raw turns point would be crazy to let her go. And and if and if if the raw don't move, there should be at least four or five A League women's clubs that should be looking at her for as a, as a as a late season replacement as well. That's that's how much I think how well she's she's adapted to this level. Um, I'm just checking my uh, phone now, and I'm pretty sure security yeah. cameras at Lions have just seen Rob <laughs> put uh, "Do not serve these guys" with our photos up there. <laughs> Uh, as, long as, they, as long as they get paid for it, of course. <laughs> so yes, well, it's been a good run. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no more time on the deck at the Golden Lion for you yeah. two. All right, uh, we'll wrap this up. Uh, three, two, one votes, and Scott, it is your turn to do this. It is, and I have given three points to Katrina Gore. She was obviously the standout player on the field. Absolutely outstanding. Larissa Cromer for two. Obviously, she worked really hard up front, and Tamar Levin was really good for one as well. And I will also say, just on Larissa Crummer as well, uh, you're really starting to see the benefits of her getting those minutes over the last couple of years. And it does seem like there is gradual improvement week on week with her, which is also really good to see. And yeah, hopefully this is a sign that this uh, Raw side has a lot more to come. The, the other Matilda in the side that's obviously proving her worth at the moment. Um, yeah, like I said, I think anything she's missing is a couple of goals. But uh, look, uh, Larissa is playing very, very well at the moment. And you'd, you'd expect almost to be you know, in that uh, World Cup squad come July. For sure. All right. So that wrapped up around about 6.45, 6.50 on Friday night. Can I say one right more thing this... very quickly? They were showing Fine, this game go. on the big screen in the first half at the stadium. They should have stuck with it in the second half instead of bringing that football expert in it. Don't you think, Adam? No need for that oh, football I... expert. Should have just stuck with the game on the big screen, don't you think? <laughs> I think so. I was enjoying the game. We didn't need that football expert next to Hinksy. <laughs> Should have just gotten Hinksy to do the commentary is what you're saying. We just didn't need the football expert is what I'm saying. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, thank you for killing my segue, Scott. Welcome but, back to uh, hosting, James. Yeah, great. You want to take over? No, it's not MPL. <laughs> All right, uh, so what well, I was about to start talking about, now we've got two parts to cover for this game, and we're going to start off with the football side of it and talk about the Raw's 1-1 draw with Western Sydney up at Redcliffe. I, I don't actually know if the stadium name is officially transferred Dolphin over Stadium. to... Stadium. I'm not calling it that other thing. Changes too often. Fair enough. All right. Either way, it was another 1-1 draw for the Raw. And uh, I would like to point out that aforementioned football expert did say in his pre-game prediction that it was going to be a 1-1 draw. So uh, in case anyone's wondering, I'm just flipping off Scott here. <laughs> you got not, one not right. You, Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Clock is uh, always right, right twice a day. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so, right to the start. Uh, Noah Charlie Austin, he has obviously made his way back home to the UK and seems like he is really enjoying the freezing Christmas weather over there. Joe Knowles got a chance to lead the line early on and there were a couple of early half chances for the Raw, but it did seem like it was following the same sort of story of the last two games where the chances were almost there, but they just didn't quite seem to really be clicking in the opening 45 minutes, Adam? I think this is the, um, I think this is the issue that I think you know, anyone that even half half watches the, game, the Raw games at the moment is that defensively they're solid, the build-up play is good, there's just no end product. 
and it just it's just a continual it, it just seems like it doesn't matter who uh it is that is leading the line or anything. it just seems to be that it's a case of they just can't find a way on goal and i think it's just become more and more apparent i think it maybe it's it's a bit of you know sort of a lack of confidence yeah and also probably a bit of a bit of you know this bit of scouting by their opponents but that seems to be the most frustrating thing is that they're getting good positions they're 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 rock solid at the back other than you know on set few set pieces but uh but yeah that, that seems to be the issue at the moment um and they seem to be playing better, you know, when it's transitional and when, when basically they're, they're trying to hit on the counter. Scott? Yeah, I just thought the start off the game slowly once again, and that's what seems to be costing the Raw in all of these draws. They seem to be coming home with a wet sail really, really well, and particularly in the home games, you think about James, but this seems to start. The first 15, 20 minutes of games is not quite the same intensity going forward. If they could put that last, put the second half performance together, for a full 90 minutes, I think they can absolutely put a team to the sword because in the second half, Western Sydney have been one of the better teams this year, James, that have been really solid. They've picked up a lot of points early on, but the Raw controlled that game in the second half for pretty much all of it. Really only one or two moments on the break for the Wanderers in that in that second half. So they could put together a full 90-minute display like the second half. I think, they, I think they're right there in terms of being able to, to put put someone away, but you mentioned no Charlie Austin and Joe Knowles up front. He put a shift in, didn't he, Joe Knowles? It wasn't really... It was difficult for him because he's not the tallest and most physical of strikers, and the Wanderers have got some really good, strong, experienced defenders. They made life really tough for him, but he did put a shift in, but it just seemed like as the game opened up in the second half, maybe that would have been the time to unleash him a bit more effectively. Entirely possible, and yeah, he was working hard. There was no question like of his work ethic but you've also got to remember this is a guy whose Brisbane Raw career is what maybe a dozen games old he's He's also used to playing off of Charlie Austin as well he's not used to being the focal point of an A-League attack yeah for sure and as the like guy charged with leading the line it it is a very different role for him as well Um, before we get into anything else though I do think we need to discuss the absolutely hilarious reason that the game was uh, delayed which was uh, Marcello, the Wanderers' captain. Uh, his wedding ring was still on, and I'm sure his uh, wife will be very pleased to know just how difficult it was to remove said wedding wedding ring. If you, uh, yeah, I'm going to leave that joke alive. <laughs> but eventually, he was able to get it taped up. And the dig uh, up, James. Yeah. Well, all, all I'm going to say is, uh, yeah, there, there have been plenty of footballers, especially in the UK, who I think have uh, had no trouble removing their wedding rings in the past including one, uh, one W. Rooney. Oh, sorry, that's too obvious. Wayne R. Well, I thought you were going to go with some other Manchester United footballer yeah. who plays on the left wing, but we won't go there. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, okay, you can throw him under the bus. <laughs> I'm not saying a name. I didn't say a name. <laughs> uh, he was he, 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 the newspaper back in the day, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he's not the only one. Like I said, Scott, I need to run him under the, throw him under the bus. Plenty have beforehand. And I'm pretty sure some would still love to throw him under a bus. Yeah, back to Marcelo at, at um, Redcliffe yeah, on Friday night. I thought, I thought that was hilarious, though, just seeing, like, every so often you see a sub coming on, they realise they're still wearing a chain or a piece of jewellery or something, but it's very rare that it actually pops up right on kickoff as well, because I thought the players normally would get checked before they uh, head out onto the pitch. I don't, I don't know whether this was actually a good spot 
a good spot by uh, the officials or whether they they completely missed it and they're just covering their their tracks because it's not like one once he actually got out onto the field or onto onto the pitch that unless it's sort of a it, I don't know, I don't know. It, somehow it caught caught the attention but I would have thought if it got missed in the pre-game the fact that um, that yeah they, they caught just before kickoff yeah look I don't know if that's a great spot trying to cover themselves up or you know, just a complete you know breakdown in protocol. I'm not I'm not a referee, so I don't know what the protocols are before ga- before the game. But uh, yeah, it was just um, quite hilarious slash annoying. Well, I would have loved to have gone and um, asked the referee like uh, when I was getting ready to do the halftime hit with Hinksy. He was like, "What happened with the wedding ring? Like, who spotted it?" Because I'm actually wondering if someone from um, the VAR booth was watching the pregame handshakes and everything and saw. Hang on, he's still got his wedding ring on. We should we should have asked the match commissioner. That, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, Sam had enough uh, enough uh, paperwork to do. I probably don't. I don't think we would have been happy to have any more than that. Well, actually, yeah, that was the that was the other uh, issue there as well. Is I feel like we both kind of let everyone down. They're not asking the necessary questions. Mm. Anyway, the raw much better in the second half. I just had to get that uh, in as well. Where uh, the raw. They definitely looked like whatever was said at halftime, whatever they switched, definitely worked. And they were able to find their equaliser through a Carlo Armiento howitzer. Now, before we discuss the actual goal, I want to say uh, as well, I think the highlight of uh, re-watching some of this was Robbie Thompson's description of it, where he came in and said it was an absolute (laughs) thunder bastard was the uh, exact delivery of that as well. And I've got to say, like, I had I had a few nitpicking issues with Robbie Thompson early on, but he really is growing on me this season as well. He seems so much more relaxed and is really you know making these games so much more enjoyable to watch. So I've got to give uh, yeah Robbie credit for that as well because it was um, you could see just hear the gears shifting in his mind. It's like ah you know what let's just say it. What's the worst that can happen? I did see on social media that was going around on on the day after the game. I'll have to go back and listen to make sure, but no, he did it was. But it was a fantastic goal, wasn't it? In all seriousness, the goal was just the swerve on that strike. That's if that's it's probably, it might not be the goal of the year, James, but it's going to be right up there in the conversation. And he's made a massive impact, hasn't he, Carlo Armiento? But you mentioned the the changes in the, the in the second half. The Raw did make a couple of early early changes in the game to um to try. I think Henry Hoare either came on just before or after that, and they might have made another change. Riku as well, so. They made a couple Arthur. of changes, and they were getting, they were clearly getting better, and they were going for it more and more as the as the second half went on. But the second half was complete domination. It was, and I think that would have led to. I, it, it felt weird because you know I thought it was going to be a draw. I thought that was the way that game was going to play out. Sometimes you just you have that gut feeling, and it turns out to be right. But I've got to be honest, like there was. Very little joy after that game as well with the fact that the Raw had to settle uh, for a draw. And that to me feels like... Um, yeah, that to me just feels like it was um, not really... like That was encouraging, I suppose. Where they were like, look, it was good that they were able to come from behind and um, have a win. But I, I've got to be honest, it wasn't... Like, it, it wasn't... I mean, I'm sorry, I've completely lost track of what I was trying to say here. Can someone bail me out? Ah, uh, you might be on your own here. Like they were relieved yeah. to get the draw, but they 
like they felt like it was two points dropped rather than a point gained. That's what I was trying to say. Also, Marco yeah. again didn't view it as mm. they were holding on mm. at the end of the game. Yeah, he well was, done, Scott. Was, that was you. He was adamant that they were in control of the game in the second half, which I, I find astonishing to tell you the truth. I know they had a couple of half chances and they had brought some young guys on and they were they were doing okay, but the Raw were well and truly on top in that second half, weren't they? I can, I can see where, uh, just, just looking at the stats, where Marco Rudam was actually you know, referencing that point, because just, just looking at the shots on goal, uh, 14 shots uh, on goal, sorry, 14 shots shots for four on goal, whereas the Raw only had the one shot on target, which obviously was the Armiento uh, How- Howitzer, so, and uh, nine and uh, of nine total shots. So perhaps he'll draw in reference to that. Uh, Western Sydney also sort of, you know, had the control of possession. So, but look, I agree. I think it's a classic deflection, I think, from, from Rudan. They, they were going all right, but certainly the Raw would feel like that they 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 should have, you know, um, you know come home and scored a second, perhaps won the game. I just want to say one last quick point on that. I think the uh, Carl Armiento trade, I think, might be working out a little bit better for the Raw at the moment than it is for the guy that went the other way. Who I haven't, been, haven't, I, haven't been, I haven't caught much of Perth Glory this season, the men, but I haven't seen a certain Luke Vanovich featuring much. So, obviously, you know, Carl Armiento certainly got the better end of that deal. For sure as well. And I suppose my final thoughts on that as well is I can see why Rudan would have thought that his side... Could like could and probably should have won, but I feel like the it, it was a balanced game. Both sides would have mm. felt like they could have won, but I also feel like both sides probably could have felt a little bit fortunate to come away with the draw based on differing periods of the game as well. Because let's not forget the Wanderers also had that goal correctly ruled out for offside just before half time as well. So Obje- objectively speaking, I think it, I think both teams you know deserve to draw. I think both teams uh, played well enough to uh, to win the game and probably didn't deserve to lose. They played two right. really good even games this year too. The game down in Sydney was mm. also very very similar. The Raw had their moments in the game. Remember the first five minutes of that game down there in Sydney, James the Raw should have been two 0 up in that game and had to come back from a goal down. So they played two really tight even games. If they do meet at the back end of the season, it'll probably be another another very even contest. It certainly seems like it is going to be heading that way. Now, uh, we did talk about the Carlo Armiento trade working out, and, well, it certainly seems like it's working out for the uh, Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year votes. I gave Armiento all three points on the night. Tom Aldred, two points, and Jordan Courtney Perkins, one point. Now, there was the other thing that happened on uh, Friday night, and we're, not go- we're going to try and not get caught up in this uh, for too long because, well, quite a bit has uh, taken place since then. But uh, the Den uh, protesting the APL grand final decision, allegedly, in the 20th minute. Yeah, it really didn't quite have the desired impact. It was a group of about 20 or so. Look, I'm going to call them kids and try not to sound too old when I do so, but plenty of them still look like they should have been using Clearasil. Decided that instead of walking out, they were going to light some flares in the Den area. I think they wound up torching all or part of one of the den signs and then instead of actually walking out like the protest was supposed to be they paraded around the entire eastern uh stand of the stadium before making their way into the parking uh area for the dolphins leagues club where they set off several more flares and i think the universal opinion across most people not involved with said display were what a bunch of morons Adam, you've got a long run-up here, so I hope you've had time to uh, warm up. Go for it. 
Ah, uh, look, it, yeah, actually, to be honest, I, I, I did say that I had a bit to say, but sort of thinking about it, I can summarise it in a lot shorter than what I originally planned, that's the fact is, is that, as far as I'm concerned, this petulant display, basically, that is the death of this whole movement against the APL, because it's come down to a fiery, inglorious end, because simply put, this is not the den. This, this is not the den. The den, as far as I'm concerned, the den died years ago. Um, I don't know who these people are masquerading uh, as as a. And like I said, the fact that they've that you know they've decided to you know basically look the, the safe flares is fine. That that the smoke, safe smoke flares are fine. It's club sanction. But then when they they decide to pull out the marine flares and whatnot, you know basically. It, it just basically shows that this is not about football. It's about, you know, just, just you know, a bunch of try-hard hooligans that, you know, that obviously took a, took some inspiration from the World Cup displays, you know, here at home and just took it to the nth level. You're not heroes, you know. Like I said, if, if you get banned for the next five years, no one's going to miss you. And quite frankly, the fact that it was only, you know, a handful of people and that not one person outside of that area decide to walk out of of the stadium just shows that you know what people people are at that stage now about the whole APL grand final decision yeah people are not happy about it but they've accepted it and they can they can they can they may they, they're not going to forget they're not going to forgive but they've just got to accept it and move on stuff like this is just so counterproductive that at the end of the day look what's the point of it just wanted one week, James, where we didn't have to discuss any of this APL off-field nonsense yet. Here we are. I mean, on the on a week where Australian football was trying to restore its image of being a safe place for people to go and watch the games in, as a family and all the rest of it, to have this happen, James, wrong place, wrong time. And I they also had, if I recall correctly, I think I saw some smoke billowing up over the back of the grandstand after the Carlo Armiento goal, so it wasn't just the in-ground display and then the stuff in the corner of the car park to try and catch the TV camera's attention. They also hung around as well after that, so I can't add much of what Adam said. It was just wrong time, wrong place, and there will be consequences for it going forward. What it looks like for the Den going forward will remain to be seen, but I imagine Dolphins wouldn't have been too impressed with the display in their ground. They probably have some cleaning bills to to deal with, there might be still be some ramifications for the next home game, but when you do that sort of stuff, as I can attest, who've been a part of active sport for a while, there are consequences. Yeah, and th- and that's the thing. Like this isn't some sort of persecution of fans for trying to be fans and create atmosphere. This is persecution of fans for, or a small group of fans for doing the wrong thing. It's really not that hard to understand it. Any whatever, any sort of bargaining power you feel like the fans might have had, like it, it was already gone after the derby, and it's mm. continued to like whatever was left has continued to erode. Can I say one other thing? It was because the reaction to it from the Western stem where Adam and I were was very interesting because it wasn't a matter of oh well, how how good's this or anything. It was more disappointment and almost ambivalence to what they were doing. And then once they went over to the car park and continued on with it. Then it probably went to an even stronger level of what are you morons actually doing? And what they did, they got no actual, they got no actual support for the protest they were trying to orchestrate. There would be nobody got up and walked out with mm. them. People just looked at them like, what are you doing? Yeah. So they got no yeah. support from the the other Brisbane Raw supporters 
in the ground. And actually, the atmosphere in the second half, you start to see a lot of um, chants starting up in the Western Stand, which is not uncommon, but it was a lot more prevalent on Friday night. So it seemed like a matter of, right, you can do what you want, but we're not with you on this one. We're not with that stuff. We're with you on the protest of we don't like the decision, but we're not going to go that far and start doing that stuff. If, if the Raw slash APL you know, follow up and they, and they sanction, quote, the den... Um, like they have the like with Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory. Look, I don't think it's going to make one iota of difference if I if I'm being if I'm being brutally honest. If if that's what's left of the den, then you know what? They, they, barring not selling any more tickets in that northern stand and tarping it off, I don't think it's going to make a, a one iota of difference. It's not going to make an iota of difference to the Raw's bottom line. So look, I just again it just bewilders me that this what this action whoever inspired this action thinking it was a good idea it was obviously completely tone deaf and doesn't understand what happened that basically active support having any trust being had had any trust to take up the protest what that it died the moment that that you know that that the melbourne that the osm or whoever was responsible melbourne stormed the field and look, even even I know I know uh, Perth Glory on the same night the shed I know they did a walkout, but there but theirs again was was different. It was symbolic. They walked out and they all went to the pub and watched the game. So congratulations to them for at least you know doing a, what would be a meaningful protest. But this action from from the Dem was just absolutely idiotic. And I'm I'm sorry if you take offence to that. And you never listen to the show again, and you got in for us. But that's that's honestly the truth. And I'm not the only one that's saying that. Well, that, that's the thing, like, um, you know, active support, because it's not really a football-first economy that we're working in here in Australia, where it is really hard to, you know, build up the trust and benefit of the doubt over so many years, and then all it takes is a couple of people doing something incredibly stupid, and then it's all completely uh, gone in the space of five minutes. But the two things that really, uh, you know, and also conversely with the uh, Perth crowd as well, it shows what a difference it makes when you've actually got adults in the room. Yeah. Uh, but my like the two things that really just completely killed it for me outside of the idiots with the flares was the fact that, one, they, instead of actually walking out, they then decided to, again, parade uh, across the middle uh, walkway on the eastern stand. And just the number of them that had their phones out recording videos going, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. Hey, as long as you get your likes on, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok or whatever, you know, I guess you've achieved your goal because you really can't have been doing it to make a point uh, about the APL grand final decision. And, you know, just shows once again what happens when you let a bunch of narcissists run free. Well, I'll say one more thing that I think we do need to move on, but I do think that at some point that Den does need to rebuild. I think that the Raw do need to have that active bay. It needs to get trying find a way to get it back to where it was a few years ago where they did have a, a, a full bay at Suncorp Stadium and then maybe spilling over into I was thinking about it they do need to get, try and get it back to that I don't know how you do that probably need to get some people who are actively invested in being a part of it to to orchestrate it but where it's been where it was to where it is now is probably more symbolic of the fact that where the raw crowds have also fallen off so it's probably it's sind- syndrome of the raw crowds generally falling off James but they do need to get that back and hopefully without these couple of knuckleheads who decided to make a fool of themselves on the weekend yep for sure alright we are going to move on now because that was 
Well, about five minutes longer than I wanted to spend talking about that, but just wanted to get a couple of extra shots in at the uh, kids. Anyway, transfer window is coming up soon. Quite a bit of work to do for the Raw in the A-League men. Uh, at least three confirmed departures in the last couple of weeks. Charlie Austin, Jesse Daly, and most recently, midfielder Matty Steinman, who has pretty much been out of the squad since, I want to say, March, Scott? Yeah, it was a home game against Wellington. They lost 3-0 from memory, and... There was a goal conceded on the break, which from memory was just awful transition defence, and it wasn't just him. But he got hooked right after that, and so did Rio Wada, and neither saw the field again. So very clearly their papers were marked on that day, and now the Raw have officially moved on from Matty Steinman, and they can maybe get somebody in who's going to contribute on the field, because it seemed like, even if he was training well, we don't see training, but it seemed like it, it wasn't going to happen for Matty Steinman one way or the other here in Brisbane after that. He's just been pretty much, not necessarily blacklisted, but basically said you're surplus to requirements and they've finally cut bait and moved on. Yep, and um, like I will admit, it does seem like uh, in the early part of his Raw career, he just, he wasn't, his strengths weren't really what he was being asked to do, if that makes sense. Like for me, he was almost, uh, he was a defensive midfielder who was almost going to function as an extra centre-back. But it just felt like he was trying to play those, you know, long diagonal passes uh, and maybe try to be on the ball a little bit more than his skill set might have been suited to. Yeah, look, with Matty Steinman, there's a bit of um, there's a bit of fanfare and sort of you know, a, bit of, a bit of excitement when he signed because the, what, from what we saw uh, in his days at Wellington before that, he, he was very, very good. But that, that uh, but in that time he also went to the uh, Indian Superannuation League, and um, and yeah, it just does not seem like he came back the same player. Um, it just didn't seem like that you know what what his expectations were for like, playing within that squad. It just it just never worked out in the end. And look, you know, we as with all raw players, you know, we wish him all the best in his future endeavours. But uh, yeah, it just didn't work out in the end, and um, yeah, even the fact that it's been this—it took this long for the raw for whatever reason. I believe it's probably more, you know, balancing the salary cap and you know, and whatnot. I, I think it's taken this long, but I think we knew a long time ago he'd played his last game for the raw in um, in a official capacity. Yep, for sure. But either way, well, I suppose the silver lining is uh, whoever you bring in to fill that uh, slot in the squad. He's going to see more minutes than uh, Steinman has this year. Well, they can't Silver see less. It's not, not, it's not possible <laughs> to see less. Yes, yes, exactly. All right, so transfer window is coming up. Naturally, a lot of people are wondering how the Raw are going to be replacing Charlie Austin. Now, I did tease this to you guys when we were uh, messaging last night. I kind of feel like the Raw's priority isn't necessarily finding an out-and-out striker to fill the... Uh, the whole of Charlie Austin. I feel like it is far more important for them to fill the hole that they've currently got in midfield in the squad because Jesse Daly has also gone. Now, you know, whatever your opinions on Daly as a player were, he is going to be a player that they do need to replace. But also I feel like midfield is just the area that has been a little bit lacking so far this season. And if they hadn't the option to maybe try and find another marquee option... I wouldn't be against them maybe going out to try and find a, you know, playmaking sort of midfield to midfielder to sort of work in tandem with Jay O'Shea and allow him to sort of play in a slightly more focused role rather than asking him to do, you know, three or four different jobs. 
Yet the moment Josh is being asked to play a deep-lying playmaker's role while also getting forward and being the creative link in around the attacking third and as good a player as he is, James, he can't do both. So I think they definitely need to look at doing having someone in the midfield. I would agree with that. It's almost, it might be 1M1A. They need a goal scorer because they don't have that at the moment either. But they also need this midfield link player as well. I think they need both. And I think this is a really important transfer winner for a lot of clubs, James. And I think you've got to be bold and you've got to be ambitious and you've got to go for it right now because the opportunity is staring you in the face. Well, the only reason why I say, you know, maybe the midfielder is more important is because I kind of think, you know, with the continued progression of Joe Knowles, you've got Mila Uznic, uh, you've also got Armiento, you've got players that in the right position can score goals. And I think if you get the right sort of playmaker, those guys will all see their goal output increase. And maybe, you know, you also bring in a, you know, that another midfielder, he can contribute with another four or five goals over the season. And it might just, it might make the attack a little bit more potent rather than finding an out-and-out striker who potentially isn't necessarily going to create chances on his own. Yeah, look, I tend to agree with you, James. I think that, you know, for me, the number one priority is a, you know, a, a creative playmaker. I think because at the end of the day, you can have, as we saw with Charlie Austin, that at the end of the day, if you can't get the ball to him, he's not going to, unless it basically is hand on silver, silver platter, you're not going to, he's not going to get score goals. So I think the main thing is 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 to get that creative, you know, that creative midfielder, and also as well as as Scott sort of pointed out as well, it it, it also will benefit, you know, having that player to take the pressure off Jared Shea, let him play his natural game, because we all know how good Jared Shea can be when he's left to do his own thing. At the moment, he just seems to have too much on his plate. He's playing, he's one midfielder trying to play two or three midfielders' roles, and. And, and then they, he's, he's a very, very easy target to shut down. So, look, I think you know, if you can get a striker, that, that's that's well and good. But I actually think the you know the major priority is a playmaker, a playmaker like of the ilk of say a Ulysses Davia. That's the sort of type of player you are looking for. Funnily enough, the name that I was actually going to suggest was Davia or even a Brett Holman type who can sort of function as a goal scorer as well. But yeah, like it feels like Austin did his work in the front third of the pitch, and it, you'd like to see someone who can contribute maybe on all three ends, or at least the middle third and attacking third. But yeah, the, it, it is amazing to think that like O'Shea has been so good over the last few years. Like, I feel like he hasn't dropped off at all this year, but you look at our player of the year votes, and like off the top of my head, I don't think he's featured that much, and maybe he's paying a little bit of the price for just setting such a ridiculously high bar over the last few years, Scott. He might be. I mean, I think it was in line for three votes for me the other week, and then we had to scrap it because of the um, the grand finals edition, so that's a shame we didn't get to um, play that audio. I know you've been waiting for a long time me for, say, three votes for <laughs> Jay O'Shea, James, but unfortunately <laughs> we had to scrap it that week. But this is a really important transfer window, isn't it? It's probably the most important in a long time because there's only really one side this year in the A-League that you look at and think they're a really elite team, and that's Melbourne City. They're, you think they're probably going to be there in that that final final four teams in the back end of the season. For everybody else, if you make a couple of really good moves right now, you can elevate yourself from the pack, which is pretty tightly congested, if you look at the table, to, to a chance to actually go and host a semi-final second leg, and then maybe get to a grand final. So I think the opportunity... And that, by the way, that grand final would also be on a neutral field 
potentially against Melbourne City in Sydney. So that's a, a real real draw card for teams to go for it right now. You've got to go for it right now. You think about Sydney FC James in 2014-15. They brought in Jacques Fatih, Mikhail Tavares and Robert Stamboltsev. Not necessarily the greatest of players they've ever had, but it took them from mid-pack to being the second best team in the A-League and they got beaten by Melbourne Victory in the grand final. But without those moves, they were nowhere. They made those moves over the second half of the season. They were actually the best team in terms of points per game for the rest of the year. So you can make moves in January that can take you from the pack to making you an elite team. And I think the opportunity is there for, for Brisbane Raw and for 11 other teams in the competition to go out there and be bold right now and you can find yourself in a position where maybe you can capitalise and get yourself to a grand final because there's not a lot of great teams in the A-League at the moment. I mean, other than Melbourne City, who's consistently playing well? I can't think of anybody. I think MacArthur are going right at the moment. Maybe. Yep. Three wins from their last four, MacArthur. But, yeah, looking at the uh, ladder right now, obviously, you know, a bit of a uh, hodgepodge of number of games played. Some have got eight, some have got nine. But the Wanderers are in second place on 15 points. Western United are on uh, 10 points, all the way down in 11th. Mm. So a good month, pretty much from here on out, could see, you know, winding up nipping at Melbourne City's heel heels and conversely a bad month might also see you uh dropping out of the very very large chasing pack but i just want to uh quickly mention as well you you talk about melbourne city being the benchmark of the competition and there's no questioning the talent that they've got in that squad but it also has to be noted that they've lost patrick kisnorbo and while we all like rado vidasic i feel like the longer he is in charge the more vulnerable melbourne city are going to be until they can find a replacement because when they do bring in a full-time coach, that person is going to need, you know, some sort of adjustment period as well. And I do kind of feel like Vitasic, he's a perfect interim boss. We've seen him try to be a full-time coach from time to time. Great assistant uh, and whatnot. But I feel like the longer he's there, the more catchable Melbourne City might be. Scott? Yeah, that's entirely possible. I think they'll probably have to sort that. Other teams have things as well. Sydney, for example, need to... So the defence, Marin's probably need to find some goals with Garan Quall moving on. There's, there's teams that need to do things. But with Brisbane, it's not just the midfield field and the centre forward. I think they've got to... They might have to sort this Corey Brown thing out once and for maybe move move him on. Because what happens if Carlo Miento all of a sudden picks up an injury? Who plays in that left wing-back role? You see what I mean? So you, there's other little things that you might need to potentially look at filling as well. So... It's not just one... Th- I think the Royal might need to bring two or three players in this window to potentially try and make sure they've got every hole filled to give them the depth required over the back end of the season. Well, you mentioned uh, needing to bring in two or three players. They've got two or three vacancies in the squad at yeah. the moment. And if transfer market is to be believed, there could be a fourth spot uh, to come open as well with Riku Danzaki's contract yeah. with his parent club. Mm. Yeah, I knew, I knew you and yeah. I were going to want to say the I, same I, was, thing, I, was, I was about to mention that that bear that I know I know that, that the time is running out on his on his contract with his parent club. So God knows what's going to happen there. I think the Raw might need to make an announcement at some point whether he's leaving, he's going, what, what what's going on. They you did know? hint it was initially a six month loan, didn't they? Which kind of gave you the impression it was going to be signed up after that but they need to sort that out as they well. need to sort that out yeah exactly but that'll be a third visa spot if he goes well yeah that's again we're really on the same page tonight Adam, because i was going to say austin that's one visa slot open steinman that's two visa slots open so they can cast a pretty wide net in terms of their recruitment and if you know riku leaves not that yeah. any of us really seem uh, overly keen to see him go he's a fan favorite and 
still think I, I honestly feel like once his future gets sorted we're going to see his game pick up uh, a little bit more as well because let's be honest not knowing where he's going to be in a couple of months would surely be playing on his mind but it, it could well, mean tec- that technically got... his future's up in the air in three days so there we go uh, so, but either way so that's you know two visa slots potentially a third and a fourth roster spot available as well so there are holes that need to be filled and you know, how they choose to address it. Well, I'm guessing uh, Warren Moon and Ante Kovacevic will uh, be aware of that. But in either way, there is plenty to be excited about from a football perspective uh, going forward in terms of how the Raw might opt to address these gaps in the squad. It could be a busy month ahead. They have had Robbie Cruz and Michael Zoli training with them. I don't know if they're still training James or not, but we know we heard they were there at the, at the back end of the preseason to see if they had... We're able to get over their injuries, so maybe they're players they can activate as well. Have to wait and see, but we you know we know they were there at one point, and they probably are still an option. I'm sure they are, and I'm going to yeah. Well, I, I'm going to stick by one of uh, the rules we try to abide by on this uh, show, which is uh, not get people in trouble for things that they haven't done yet. So I'm going to uh, hold my opinions on any potential signings of former Raw players until they may or may not actually happen. We, we can speculate all we like, but until the club announces it, it's just speculation. Exactly. So, so we're pleading the fifth on that. Pretty much. So let's uh, move on then, and very quickly, do a review of our favourite moments of 2022. I think all three of us are going to say the Socceroos run in the World Cup will be the number one uh, football moment for our personal perspectives, uh, be it the qualifying game against Peru, beating Tunisia and Denmark and being one outstretched Emmy Martinez's arm from taking the eventual world champions to extra time. That was genuinely phenomenal. Uh, I've got I've got two moments in mind, so I'll uh, lead us off with my favourite Raw-related moment, and that was... Uh, and I'll go with one of them. The Australia Cup run. For me, that was a, a lot of fun. It's a competition that we haven't really seen the Raw approach you know, with a whole lot of intensity in the past I think back to I think it was Aloisi when he called it an extended preseason hit out but it was really good seeing them you know find a way to generate a little bit of momentum and uh, that run to the semi-final while the exit was disappointing it was great seeing them taking on the NPL clubs the only thing that was missing for it aside from making the final would have been uh, oh I don't know a home game maybe Scott it would have been nice to get at least one home game in there. They played, what, four or five away. I'll go for the Australia Cup, but also more the Peninsula Power run of that. Those games up there at AJ Kelly Park, they played at Northwest Sydney Spirit, Green Gully, I think it was, and then they played the um, Sydney United after that. All three home games. Great atmosphere, a great moment for that club, and that was probably the that Australia Cup run for the Raw and for Peninsula Power, tied hand-in-hand hand almost, was really great fun over the A-League preseason slash back end of... The MPL is probably the highlight of the season for me. With the Raw, the Australia Cup run probably was the highlight of what was fair to say not their best year, but maybe 2023 could be a better year for them. So it looks uh, like it could be at the moment on the table. Yeah, look, uh, I, I really um, struggled with 
differ from you guys. Um, look, I guess if I can pin, if I can actually pinpoint one moment, I actually think the uh, the playoff win over uh, West Sydney Wanderers uh, to get to actually get into the Australia Cup, I thought was a was a great moment because you know again the the, the stakes on that were pretty high and it obviously paid off. That you know if they if they went, go on that game and lose, the, the, whatever happens. Uh, so sort of, yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't happen. So I think I guess that's a high moment. But it has looked admittedly it has been a tough year being a raw supporter. It's been it's been you know a lot more negative than positive. Whether it's a blame or not, it's uh, it's, it's inconsequential. It's, it's just been tough. And hopefully the future, you know, it shows signs of you know of you know moving forward, progressing as a club, both on and off the pitch. I guess for overall football moments outside of Socceroos, look, I'm going to look back at. Um, I'm going to look back at uh, the final series in uh, MPL, uh, especially Grand Final Day uh, for both men and women. I, I thought um, I thought that was two exceptional days. You know, Grand, you know, Grand, Grand Final. I think, you know, from a local perspective, it was it was great to see, you know, especially on the men's Grand Grand Final Day, see a packed house at Perry Park. You know, a, a couple of really really good games uh, as, as well. Uh, and and yeah, look, I think you know. You know, I think that yeah, the I think the best is yet to come for uh, the football Queensland competitions in uh, 2023 because I think there's a few few structural changes that's to come back and I think it's going to be a very very tight comp especially at the top end. So I was just thinking about Matt Lakey's goal down the sideline against Denmark. That's still number one. <laughs> Despite yeah. everything else we've said, that's still number one. <laughs> it, it is. It narrowly just pips Sutar's tackle against Tunisia. Oh, that was yeah. phenomenal. I have to admit, though, from a local perspective, it's uh, hard to differ as well with those uh, NPL Grand Finals, which were, like, great occasions. And I, I just want to keep going back to it and say that Lions might have won that Women's Grand Final. Was it 6-0 in the end? I don't think Gold Coast United were bad on the day either. I just keep coming back to that as well, where, you know, just was Lions being far and away the better side. But you're right, it was, you know, a spectacular day. It was... Uh, my first like NPL level grand final I got to commentate on and uh, doing co-coms with uh, Simon Smell for the men's grand final as well that was a very a couple of very fun afternoons as well and um, yeah it was another good season and I think you're right a lot to look forward to in mm. 2023 from a raw perspective what I'm looking forward to in 2023 as well and this may seem like a bit of a cop out but the continued growth of the women's team I think they you know, probably bottomed out uh, in the season that ended back in March. But it does seem like they're very much uh, heading on to an upwards trajectory now, a couple of good results. And as we head into the New Year's Eve game coming up this weekend, I think there is a lot to look forward to from a, a raw women's perspective and hopefully might see them return to where they belong in the final series. Yeah, that's oh, the God. thing. Oh, into 2023, James, it is, that's the positive, isn't it? That 2022 probably was not the Raw's finest year other than the Australia Cup campaign but 2023 both sides look like they're on track to return to the finals and who knows what can happen from there so they're on they're heading in the right direction and there's some big games coming up in the next couple of weeks might be a bit this might be a big opportunity on New Year's Eve that uh, for, for the Raw for the Raw women to you know maybe Put up, put up a memorable performance you know, in 2022 because if they can if they can beat Sydney on their home track and look that I know the scoreline didn't really reflect and I thought they they weren't great um, at Allianz um, at, at, at 
at Allianz Stadium in their, in their first meeting. But I think that if, you know, with a bit more hindsight and, you know, and, you know a bit of knowing what to expect, uh, look, there's every chance that, you know, and, they, and the big difference is Katrina Gorry will be playing where she didn't play uh, in, in Sydney. So that, that's going to be a big up for them. A big win for them could really sort of, you know, send a statement that they certainly are going to be amongst the favourites. So let's see what happens on uh, New Year's Eve. Well, that actually leads in perfectly to the weekend preview, and you pretty much answered my question for the women's game, Adam. Saturday, 2 p.m. Brisbane time at AJ Kelly Park against Sydney FC. Scott, what are you looking for out of this game? Uh, they need to make a statement against one of the top teams in the competition. They've beaten the teams that they're expected to beat. Now I think it's time to make a statement and put up a really good performance against a team who's in that top four. Because they might they might be sitting there, they might not. But the performance has to be there that shows that they are a, a legitimate top four side. And also on that uh, loss a couple of weeks ago down in Sydney, two of um, the last two Sydney goals came in second half stoppage time, didn't they? They did. Yeah, so you know maybe that blew out the scoreline a little bit more than what it could have been. But uh, yeah, I think there is going to be plenty on the line at AJ Kelly Park. Head out to the game because it's a two o'clock kickoff, so you can get there. Enjoy some football before you get on to your New Year's Eve festivities, which I'm sure, well, maybe not us three, but others will uh, be ready to revel in the New Year. Oh, like I said, it's a, there's certainly going to be New Year's celebrations on the peninsula if you want to extend your stay out there. Uh, look, but also as well... Um, the mayor promoting his own activities. <laughs> well, he is. Also, I think I've also seen a news story where he's taken on the Minister for Tourism uh, portfolio as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Anyone, anything to get uh, people across into uh, my part of the world, but uh, but yeah, look. Uh, also, that's why I take Kelly Park when it's uh, when you get a lot of people there. Uh, look, I think it's also it's going to be a very raucous environment. I think it's uh, hopefully you know the fans can get out there on New Year's Eve to support this uh, this Royal Women's team, you know, especially yeah, you because know, I think they are as as we just said. I think that you know, with a few results, they legitimately are you know, a chance in this uh, league. For sure. But before we get to that, there is also the uh, men's side in action this Friday evening. It feels like we're saying that every week. The Raw men are playing on a Friday mm-hmm. evening. It's their fourth one in a row now? Yep. Fourth or five. The, yep, fourth or five. So they are heading down to the one Melbourne club that doesn't seem to have some sort of crowd sanctions imposed on them, and that is Western United this Friday night, Scott? They don't have crowd sanctions, but they'll probably still have a lower crowd than those two who do have those sanctions <laughs> imposed on them in Western United. I think this is a... Look, Amy Park is a ground where the Raw go there, things go wrong, and they don't get good results typically, James. But these two games, back-to-back, they play victory early in the new year as well. I'm not sure if they're going to stay down there in Melbourne for the week or if they're going to fly in, come back, and go back down again. But these are two games... I think they should really be looking at getting at least four points out of six in these two games. Western United are not in the greatest form moment. They are an aging side. The Raw have a lot of quick attacking players in the front third who could really, really hurt them. So I think there's a really good opportunity in that game. And we know the mess that Melbourne Victory are at, at the moment. So I think these are two games down there. We're at a ground where the Raw don't tend to play play well often and don't tend to get the results. This might line up nicely for them to go down there and actually get a result or two. Yeah, look, this this has unfortunately this has draw written all over it. Um, neither, neither side. The positivity, of the... come on, it's Christmas. 
Yeah, well, no, it's Christmas is gone, so the positivity's gone. Well, no, look, on season, bring the cheer. Nah, I, I look, I think it, it maps out. It maps out that you know both teams are struggling to score goals at the moment, uh, and I, I think that that trend's going to continue. Look, I, th- I still think a point, a point is a, is a good result at this stage, but I think that there's probably other targets where the Raw can probably more realistically pick up a win. But it, with that said, um, a strong defensive performance by the Raw, and they're able to pinch one, there's every possibility they could take, take all three points. So, so yeah, so, look, I, I think I think this is like the Western Sydney game. I think this is going to be a very even contest. It may come down to one, one sort of moment that decides this game. Yep. Uh, well, for me, it's first goal wins. Like, uh, Western United look like they're back to their, you know, 1-0 uh, style of play, which hey, won them in the grand final yep. last year. So more power to Aloisi and company for that. Uh, Diamante is working his way back into the squad as well. Prijevic is back. There are plenty of danger men on the Western United side. However... Top all Sterling is out, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. However, I do think the Raw have shown the ability to... If they can survive that first 30, 45 minutes there'll be every chance of winning this game as well. So, you know, it might take an O'Shea free kick or penalty or something, but, like, anything is possible. But I think this is going to end 1-0 one way or another. So, get ready for that on Friday night. And that is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thank you and good night. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, James. Talk to you in the new year. Yes, and thank you, everyone, for listening to us throughout 2022. We hope... We've been able to entertain through what has been a very momentous year for us, at least off the pitch, and uh, somewhat enjoyable on the pitch as well across the A-League and NPL seasons. Have a very happy new year. We might see you out at AJ Kelly Park on Saturday afternoon. Otherwise, uh, that was a great ending for me as well. I'm ready for 2022 to end. Have a happy new year. We'll talk to you next week.